hello and welcome back to another episode of Failure Peace Theater. I am your amiable co-host Tim and joining me as always is... Catherine. And we're back this week to discuss uh, a film that has made the rounds. Many people have attempted to discuss, dissect, and better understand this world-class teen horror masterpiece? No, it's not. But in any case... We are discussing 2017's Wish Upon, starring Joey King and directed by John R. Leonetti, who we will discuss his his bona fides as we go. Um, but joining me, as I said, is Catherine. So what did you think of Wish Upon? Uh, I would like to wish that I have never seen this movie. <laughs> Perhaps ah, okay. that this movie had All never right. been made. <laughs> Um, this is a weird one. Uh, Wish Upon, uh, again, is, is a relatively recent horror film. I mean, it's uh, a small-scale production, very much in the vein of, of what we've been seeing a lot in the last decade or so since Bloomhouse and, and Ghost House Pictures under the Sam Raimi label have attempted to sort of reinvigorate the low-budget, high-production-value horror film. And uh, this one seems to be treading upon some very familiar ground, right? Um, we would see a, a very similar film a couple years later with Slender Man, uh, even starring Joey King as well, I believe. But this is a, a sort of fairly typical teen horror romp with uh, its own little twists, I suppose you could say. But ultimately, it is kind of for naught. It's uh, a little bit of Final Destination, a little bit of ancient Chinese mysticism in the oh. gremlins mold. Uh, it's, it's a little bit of everything. And uh, so I, I guess let's let's break it down just a little bit and then we'll, we'll get into spoiler territory and kind of discuss. But uh, so as I mentioned, this film's directed by John Leonetti, John R. Leonetti, excuse me, who is probably most well known or most infamous, I should say. Be, for being the director of Mortal Kombat Annihilation, uh, i.e. the terrible the one. The best. Oh, wait. <laughs> um, right. Well, it depends what you're going in for, much like this film. If you're going in for something terrible, you're going to get it, and you're going to get it in spades, and, and maybe be somewhat satisfied because it is so bad. But Mortal Kombat yeah. Annihilation, even at the time it came out, was very famously a just dud on every level I and and so he directed that, that was, anything that, was his debut. that happened in mortal Kombat annihilation i remember nothing. no um i do i mean i remember that they swapped christopher lambert for james remar which <laughs> i sure i don't know i don't know what to think of that because it's not like they traded up or down really it was no just it's a very it's a very one guy move. for another guy <laughs> <laughs> generic white male um <laughs> Uh, I'm sorry, Christopher Lambert. You're not a generic white male. You'll always be the Highlander to me. But there can be only one. There can be only one. But in any case, uh, so he directed that. That was his theatrical directing debut, uh, <laughs> which you know, take that as you will, I suppose. Um, but he is is from a long line of Hollywood gaffers. Um, which which explains it. This is uh, Hollywood is a notoriously small town, and working in Hollywood, it is 
really, uh, you, you will encounter legacies, right? People who have been in the film industry, in some cases since its early days or maybe even its inception. And so uh, John R. Leonetti is the youngest son or one of the younger sons of Frank Leonetti, who was, by all accounts, one of the first sort of lighting riggers in Hollywood. He very famously did lighting work on uh, The Wizard of Oz, which of course had you know, numerous you know, technical innovations and things of that nature. And so both of uh, Leonetti's kids moved from lighting setup into cinematography, which is not a huge leap, right? One of the major jobs of a cinematographer is to figure out lighting situations. So um, his older brother, Matthew, got into the game first and ended up being cinematographer on a pretty decent number of 80s action films, wherein John got his opportunity to work as, you know, first assistant camera operator, etc. And then sort of, you know, built his way up to his first features. And then most of his work, however, has been cinematography. And so um, apparently he got to be good friends with James Wan in the mid 2000s. Uh, he worked on the first Insidious. He worked on the second Insidious. He worked on Dead Silence, the the little scene creepy puppet James Wan movie that, uh, you know, had a cameo from Billy the Puppet from Saw in it. You know, because we're building a James Wan cinematic universe. It's all about the cinematic universe. Hooray. But so that brings Leonetti to, to this. Uh, this is his fourth or fifth film, if I remember correctly. And he had done, uh, the biggest thing he had done beforehand was Annabelle by far. Uh, so Juan, working with him as a cinematographer, threw him a bone, let him direct one of the Conjuring spinoffs. Uh, generally, Annabelle is seen as a lesser Conjuring spinoff. The, what it means to be a lesser Conjuring spinoff has obviously changed radically in the last what, like six or seven years. Because, mm -hmm. man, there's some bad Conjuring spinoff movies. But... You know, still, it was a big, it was a big deal, made a lot of money because Annabelle, you know, uh, the budget on that, I think was 6 million and it made 260 million. So I don't think anybody was unhappy with the performance of Annabelle at the box office, but it was not a good Unless movie. you were one of the unfortunate people who had to see Annabelle at the Right. Box yes. The people, the, the people counting the money, <laughs> totally fine with the performance of Annabelle. The people who actually saw Annabelle said... Hey, I think I got scammed. I've been ripped <laughs> that, off. And uh, that's exactly what happened. Uh, but again, you make money in Hollywood, you get to make more movies. That's just kind of how it works. And so um, Wish Upon was was not his next project. He made another short movie called uh, Wolves at the Door, which was supposed to be inspired by the Manson family murders and was just... I don't even know if it got like a full theatrical release. I don't think it did. It just kind of like came out. So just not very good in any case. Um, but so then we get to wish upon and that's our focus for today is this little teen comedy because <laughs> it's comedic to me, this little teen comedy horror. Um, I, I, I struggle to, to reduce the plot only because it's so simple that I think you'll be you won't believe me, right? Like, I'm, I'm afraid that people, when I say what this movie is, they'll be like, no, it can't be that. That's ridiculous. That's too easy. <laughs> it's too easy. Um, it's, okay, so It's a monkey's paw. It is exactly a monkey's paw. Now, would you believe 
that the script for this movie was actually on the 2015 blacklist. Really? Yeah, like the list of best unproduced scripts in Hollywood. The script for this was on that. Now, apparently, when Leonetti came on board and, and his creative team, they they started making changes. So I'm going to hope that those changes just, were somewhat substantial. I haven't honestly I was going to go back and read whatever script the blacklist had. Um, and I just ran out of time. Just don't you wish we could go back to when things were so simple and then a monkey's paw movie could be like the best movie that hasn't been made yet. That's, that's true. 2015. Yeah, you, I mean, a lot hadn't happened yet. Right. Um, the world was young and fresh. The nothing was the on fire yet. of America were, were uplifted and beautiful. And the mm. world was on, on an upward trend. And then everything went downhill. Fast. Now, if you tried to make a monkey's paw movie, good luck. Yeah, no doubt. It would be a Netflix original is what it would be. And that's and that was kind of where I was going to head with this is that really the, I mean, these movies are still being made dozens and dozens of them. I'm going to say every month are being made, but they are being unceremoniously dumped onto streaming services. Now, no one would put this in a theater. Now, this would have been sold immediately to Netflix or Paramount Plus or Peacock or somebody would have aired this and, and it would have been seen probably as a sort of minor streaming success. Maybe a to be but original <laughs> to be original freebie. It's on freebie <laughs> and to be simultaneously. <laughs> but yeah, it's so the basic premise for this movie is ridiculously simple. Girl finds ancient Chinese wishing box. <laughs> um, somehow figures out that making wishes while touching the box works. Bad things occur as a result of her asking for the wishes. Be careful what you wish for. And that's literally it. The rest of the yep. film is just watching her make wishes. Uh, I do think the film, you know, sort of takes an interesting approach once she actually does realize what the box does, but yet continues to make wishes. That's, you know, that's an interesting take, I suppose. See, if but, I just make another wish that undoes right. my other wish, then it'll be wish. fine. Just one more wish. And I suppose there is a sort of interesting sort of classic mythological component to that, right? Oh, I'm just going to keep going back to the well, just the one more time. Um, I also think it's it's interesting to note that another early film that John R. Leonetti directed was The Butterfly Effect 2. Two. Not the first one. <laughs> You know, I didn't even know there was a second one until I, today. <laughs> I think there may be three or four Ugh. of them by the time the series wrapped up. Uh, yes, there was a third, at least. Butterfly Effect well, 3 Revelations. The world is a twisted place. It is. That's why the Butterfly Effect has three movies. That's right. It's a we're, series. We're so fascinated by how butterfly affected the world can become. So wish upon again is about this girl who finds a wish box. Um, the, we do have some sort of mid tier stars in this, um, really just a couple, right? Two, two standouts for me. One, uh, Sherilyn Finn has a brief role in this. And, and I don't know about you, but every moment that Sherilyn Finn was on screen, I felt this film was elevated by her presence. She was yeah. relatively genuine. She could uh, act. She's um, a lovely woman. 
Yeah, she's just she's great. And and of course, you know, Cheryl and Finn, we have a long relationship with her because of our shared affection for the Twin Peaks universe and her brilliant portrayal of Audrey Horn in the original Twin Peaks series and its follow up. Just a, a wonderful, a wonderful actress. And and why she took this movie, I have no idea. I assume friends of a friend were like, hey, you want to come make 20 bucks? <laughs> Will you work for scale? And and she was like, sure. Uh, and then, of course, the other standout or, or the other face you might recognize in this, you know, film awash in blank faced teenagers is uh, Ryan Felipe. Uh, Philippe? Who Felipe? I, I, Felipe? I think it's Felipe. I believe Felipe. But That's I also I was under the impression that he disappeared, like died in an accident. Like, I don't know. I just, you know, he's one of those actors that. He was there, and then he was gone. He was in a bunch of movies, and then where the fuck did he go? I don't know. He, he was in Wish Upon. He was in Wish Upon. That's true. <laughs> um, he has transitioned relatively successfully, from what I can tell, into television. Um, he made the film. He made this the television series based on the now classic American action film Shooter, starring Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> Um, so he made the the TV show for that, which ran for a surprising number of seasons. He's on a show called Big Sky right now on ABC Family or something, which is like a murder mystery show. No it's idea. A, it's, a, it's a David E. Kelly joint, right? You know, a little but bit like, of Ali McGill here. When Ryan Felipe was like the guy. I oh yes, like no, I mean, Cruel girls, Intentions era Ryan Felipe ladies, was the guy. Straight ladies and gay men loved Ryan Felipe like the I, I don't I don't really know why but he was so popular and then like like a like a fart in the wind he just disappeared <laughs> I mean I'm glad he's he's doing stuff now but this didn't really give me a lot of hope for the the later years of Ryan Felipe <laughs> Yeah, he, he, I mean, he was married to Reese Witherspoon, which obviously was, you know, one of those celebrity couple things that ended in like, oh, nine or something. And then um, she and presumably so, traded up. I don't know. I, I, don't, I have no <laughs> idea. I, I do not follow the celebrity gossip rags. Um, <laughs> I have no idea. I haven't read a Perez Sometimes Hilton I look blog on, on Wikipedia and I'm like, oh shit, they're married. Those people are married? Wow, that's weird. Or like I'll discover that I've missed a celebrity marriage completely. Like I'll see this, you know, 10 years period where, where two celebrities were married. And it's like, shit, I didn't even know that. No idea. Yeah, it's it's hard to say. I, I will say if you if you look through the, the personal life section of his Wikipedia page, which, you know, I, I again, I don't generally do when I look up celebrities. He has had some some relationships in the last few years that have ended pretty badly, like with restraining <laughs> orders, lawsuits, etc. So maybe Brian Felipe isn't that great of a dude, right? I'm going to go ahead and throw maybe. that out there. But you know who can say? Because who can say? Who, who knows? Um, who knows anything about him past 2001? Definitely not me. Uh, every time he shows up, because he's in like those MacGruber movies, he plays like the the, oh, the straight man in MacGruber. Oh yeah, totally. What That's Ryan fuck? Felipe. 
<laughs> Sorry, I missed out on the MacGruber cinematic universe. <laughs> oh, it started. I, I want to watch the, the series on on Peacock or whatever. I've heard it's pretty good. But series in, in any, there's there, a series. There is a, a MacGruber series on Peacock. Yes. Oh my god! Yep. How far you, we have fallen. You Europeans are just missing out. You don't you don't know the glory that is is Peacock streaming Man. originals. <laughs> Man. So. In any case, uh, those are likely the only two actors that you will recognize in the entirely the entirety of this and particular that is, film. Unless you're a big fan of streaming service movies, in which case you'll definitely recognize the star. Uh, oh, yes, for sure. Um, and that um, would be, of course, Joey King. Yeah. She, uh, and and to her credit, this movie is beneath her. You know, she's I, actually a pretty yeah. good little actress. I, like I, she's I did very want talented. To address that, she. I mean, it, it's worth noting that Joey King, the the trajectory of her career, she has touched upon. I guess what we could loosely call genre film, pretty much from the start. She did early voice acting. Uh, we've actually talked about her before because she was the voice of China Doll in. Oz the Great and Powerful. Yes. She was also the girl in the wheelchair in the flashback sequences in Kansas. So she had, you know, some things going on there. But 2013 was a, a pretty huge year for her. She was in The Conjuring, of course. She played one of the kids in The Conjuring and, and got a couple of really great scenes. She was in Dark Knight Rises as the young Talia Al Ghul um, character inside of the, the well or whatever the Batman goes to. <laughs> She had White House Down. She did uh, the animated Boxcar Children, which a lot of people have forgotten, but that was a decent little animated whatever, especially if you liked the Boxcar Children. Whatever. Whatever. Um, Independence Day Resurgence. Like, you know, she's had an interesting career. Now, I think it's funny because she, as I mentioned before, she was also in Slender Man in the year yeah. after this, which the Slender Man movie is, a, is a, an abomination of its own. Um, you know, I... I We've talked about creepypasta and stuff before, and I really like Slender Man was never my favorite creepypasta. I, I enjoyed the photoshops back on the Something Awful forums as well as anybody else. But, you know, it was I was somewhat excited about, oh, how could somebody with a budget and money and CG do something with Slender Man? And then Not I well. watched Slender Man <laughs> and I was like, oh, that that would be the approach. <laughs> I see. And then after this movie, she had two kind of notable things happen, which was the kissing booth, which I haven't seen because I don't watch it like that. Uh, but that was like a made for Netflix. Yes. Thing. And there's a bunch Very of those. Big. There's three of those. Little now. Rom another one coming, I think. But I did hear that as far as like teen, you know, romance stuff that they were, you know, they were cute. Uh, but then she was also in the Hulu original series, the act, which was, fantastic and horrifying and much scarier than wish upon yes um this is one that i've i've intended to watch but i've never got around to it true crime stuff is real hit or miss for me i don't generally engage super well with true crime not because i hate it but just because i'd rather go read like actual articles about the crime and sort of come to my own conclusions rather than watch a dramatized version most of the time not always but most um but it, I did hear really good things about the act. And was, that was one was that I, I've intended to go back and watch 
several times. Um, you know, so I mean, she's she's a good actress, especially given her age. Um, she's had a, a great range of experience. Um, I, I also remember her being in uh, Ramona and Beezus, you know, being a, mm-hmm. a young father. We certainly watched that a couple of times, which, you know, was obviously based on the classic Beverly Cleary books and, and you know, all that good stuff. But so, I mean, she's a surprisingly capable actress. And I, I, I won't say that she's bad in this. She's really not. There's, there's not much for her to do. She gets, yeah. how could you be good in this movie? What's I there to do know. that's good? She screams, she points, she has blood splashed in her face as she washes people around her die horribly. Um, uh. And that's kind of about it. Uh, Slenderman has much of the same problem where the characters don't really do much. And unfortunately, the dialogue feels like a 45-year-old woman attempting to write teenager dialogue, yeah. you know, with lots of things like, oh, that was dope, yo, you know, kind of stuff being delivered with you the, dig just on the bare minimum of commitment. Oh, yes. They said oh, that twice in the they script. They did. That was in the script, and they had those teenagers say it, and I think those teenagers died inside each time they had to say it. You dig on metaverses? You dig on metaverses? That's my new favorite thing that's ever happened in a movie. It's a great line. Yeah, that's, it'll, we'll, we'll have it. It'll come back again and again and again, I'm sure. Oh, you dig on metaverses? I dig on metaverses. <gasps> um, all right. So so some decent actors flesh this thing out. Uh, there are some sort of Canadian, um, you know, sort of background and supporting actor stalwarts here, too. Um, his, Jonathan's friend, um, because I guess it's worth noting that Ryan Felipe in this perhaps is a, you know, a truly accurate portrayal of his, his external life outside of acting is a garbage man, um, who just roves through people's garbage looking for valuable things, I assume to resell. I think that's the idea. The movie sets it up like, I shouldn't think that that's cool, but. That sounds like the coolest job in the world. Just driving around in your truck all day with your best pal, digging cool stuff out of the trash, like Chinese wish boxes. Sweet. I mean, we have a whole show about it. It's called American Pickers. Sign me up. And those guys seem to be doing okay for the most part. You know, <laughs> yeah, like that's one of my major things here is that the girl, Joey, Joey King's character, she she cannot stand that this is her father's vocation. Right. She just it drives her insane. The and movie did not even have the guts to make him a bad person. No. Like, if they really wanted to make him an embarrassment, you know, they would go full, full, like pissing himself in the middle of the day, drunk, <laughs> drug addict, right. miserable, showing up to her school, completely wasted. Like, just, you know, go for it if you're going to make him a, a lousy father. But. Like he just digs through the trash. I don't know. He seemed like yeah. a really good dad. Who, he seems like who a good loves dad. Loves to upcycle. Tries to care. Yeah. I mean, he's environmentally conscious. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know that the film just has a really weird stance on on that. Like the act of digging through trash to find valuable things that people in this obviously wealthy city have just t- thrown away, and finding enough success to be able to like afford a home and a truck and you know like whatever. Like he's not a complete failure. But she but through her as the main character, we are sort of forced to believe 
that that's what he is, that he's just this, this disaster of a human being um, wow. when it doesn't really come across that way. And maybe it's just, maybe it's Ryan Felipe's pure magnetism. Maybe that's what's <laughs> happening here. Like we can't believe that Ryan Felipe would be bad at something because he's just so there's an animalistic urge what? that we all experience when we see what him on I, screen. I, I feel like, I feel like they tried to do this saying like this is what teenagers are embarrassed by mm. trash diggers but the right they really aren't um teenagers have emotions that are like shockingly similar to the ones that adults experience what? Um, so so it just it already sets it up to be pretty unrealistic that you know the things that she wants and the things that bother her don't really make sense there's a lot going on here. I, I think I imagine it in its original form in the script, what this was really about was sort of boiling high school down to the sort of have and have not proposition. Cause a lot of the things that Joey King's character, Claire, whatever ends up wanting are, are things that are outside of her social status, right? Like she's not one of the rich kids who drives a Denali to school. She's not one of the, girls who gets the hot boys because she goes to the designer clothing stores right so so there's all of this in a lot of ways it's misperception and i could see in the hands of perhaps a better script writer or or a better director that you could really try to say something about perceived class divides right like you're you're trying to say something about the fact that this girl believes that she's second class because she doesn't have all these things and you've got all these people around her being like but those things don't matter Right. You can find happiness and you can find, you know, fulfillment in a life of, of, you know, she's an artist. Right. So she's she's drawing all the time. She's trying to get an art scholarship to some school or something. You know, so there's there's all of this sub and it's not even subtext. Right. I know people use subtext. They're all cowards. (laughs) So it seems like there could be some subtext there to do something like that with. But it's all surface level and it all basically doesn't amount to anything in this film there's there's no commentary here no one is no one is saying anything about anything but at one point in its development i could see those elements being present that this girl is is making all of these wishes and engaging in this life that she never really needed in the first place and if she had just accepted who she was and the life that she was living all of this could have been avoided which again in and of itself is a very monkey's paw sort of approach like that is the the lesson of the monkey's paws like you should just sort of be happy with what you've got and i i don't know maybe those things were there and and our good friend john arley and eddie just couldn't draw them out for one reason or another just couldn't uh, couldn't bring them to life in his his script but uh i don't know um so do you do you have any thoughts on that what do you think um I agree. And similarly, I feel like on 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 the flip side, the bullies and, and the haves of her haves and have not society are grossly exaggerated. Every single um, one of them is now bullies the exist worst. and bullies suck. But I really, really struggle with movie bullies that don't at any point feel like real people. Um, the main 
the main mean girl, uh, Darcy. Uh, She sucks. She's despicable. But I actually kind of sat there wishing, (laughs) wishing uh, that the movie would have dialed back her meanness and actually made her maybe a nice person. So I thought, wouldn't that be so much more compelling if if our main character wished something mean upon a person who really didn't deserve it, who was just by happenstance a luckier person, had a better life, and was set up to experience better things, but didn't deserve to get necrotizing fasciitis? Yeah, and, and I mean that. Yeah. I mean that would have cemented the whole like, wow. This this box is really bad news. Um, but instead, this bully is just so over the top and so fake and so ridiculous that nothing that happens to her and nothing that she does has any sort of meaning to it, I guess. Yeah, it's it, when you reduce something to to pure parody. This is kind of what you get now. You, I mean, you. I can watch this and enjoy it because it is so archetypal and simple. Like these people are so awful, both to everyone else and to each other, you know, that it's, it's really, it's, it's unbelievable, right? The the realm of unbelievability is just, is just pushed to the absolute limits. So for example, you mentioned the, the necrotizing fasciitis, right? So this isn't a spoiler. The first wish that our, our hero the hero of the film (laughs) is that she wishes that Darcy would rot, right? That she just rot. Ugh. Like, LOL, bro. Right. Like that kind of thing. Not that she becomes poorer or like less fortunate or loses all of her friends. Just that, just that her body rots. She just just rots. Rots. Um, Which in and of itself is like, okay. All right. Again, if if she'd been touching the wish box, and this was kind of one of my big things, and we'll talk about this more when we get into the you know full spoiler section, is the way that she discovers the wishes is just completely non-believable to me. Uh, she quite literally holds the box in her hand, she cradles it, and she says, oh, I wish she would rot. What I was hoping was she would sort of like have a hand on it, she'd be futzing with it and be on the phone with one of her friends. And then say, oh, I wish she would rot, like in in the course of conversation, which is where I believe that phrase would be more acceptable kind of thing. And and then the box like picks up on it and makes it happen. And then sort of that leads her to say like, oh, but I I did, you know, I, I don't understand. I don't know where this came from. So a lot of the mechanics of sort of how she starts making the wishes, figures out how the wishes work. All of that is a little bit on the like, yeah, I, I don't know. Side. But she's taking Chinese class, and that's how she can she read is. the box. She can read the box because of the Chinese class, um, which is is certainly fortunate given the circumstances. I'm uh, just really glad that they teach the Chinese language that well at at the high school level. Yes, that you can read <laughs> yeah, in most high school language box. classes. You come out knowing how to ask where the bathroom is, and that's like it. <laughs> Well, what you don't know about Chinese language education is that you start with the mystic box type language phrases. Oh, right? yeah, like that's true. Wishes, seven days, death. You know, like those are the first vocabulary words you really get in a, in a modern first Chinese task language class. is to translate this Chinese wish box 
<laughs> All right, we're going to need some vote. Here's our vocab list for the week, everybody. Pictures I want you to look you know? at. Here's the vocab list: uh, death, rot, pain, Wishes. misery, vengeance. Right? Those those are the words we're going to be learning. So in any case, she begins making the wishes and and these these just cardboard bullies everywhere. I mean, there's that scene in the beginning where she's like riding her bike and she's having a great time. And then the girl just almost hits her with her car, like almost commits vehicular manslaughter on purpose. And then she's like, eh, I'm driving here get out of my way. Yeah, like like the wow. the implication was that she didn't even try to swerve. Like she was just gonna be fine with hitting her. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I um, <laughs> you know, it's it's hard to not hit people with your car, especially when it's the size of several small boats, which uh, of course is another thing that gets pointed out in the film. So we we have a a, fa- a fairly standard horror setup here, which is part of the problem too. Is that we've seen this kind of thing before? Not just the classic example of the monkey's paw, where you know you you wish for something and there's always a price to be paid, but even just the you know discover mysterious object, mysterious object wreaks havoc on your life kind of thing, is a pretty pretty standard setup for horror, especially of the teen variety. So. Um, there's just not a lot going on in Wish Upon to set it apart or make it unique. But yet, for a, ter- for a time, this film was a bit of a sensation. Um, I think a lot of it had to do with people not being able to believe how sort of stunningly mediocre it is. Because it's not bad. Like, I, I struggle to say that it's bad. It's just mediocre. It's, it's, it's the most middle-of-the-road horror film experience that I think a human being can possibly have. Does that make sense? I mean, does, I don't know if you yeah. feel the same way, but, but that's where I'm at is it's just, it's not terrible. It's shot decently. I mean, Leonetti has done, you know, he's the guy who shot the conjuring and that's generally regarded as a great looking film. Like he's not incapable. The film is not just bewilderingly terrible, not in the, the, you know, like free on Tubi type way, <laughs> but it's, but there's also nothing to set it apart or make it unique, right? Um, I've seen yeah. a lot of comparisons, for example, to like the Final Destination series, because this movie has a couple of Rube Goldberg style kills, right? Where you just you don't know where the death is coming from, right? Um, and that's what Final Destination did so well is that, you, you know, you'd be in the car and you'd be like, oh, this could go wrong or this could go wrong or this could go wrong. And then you would be surprised with a fourth option that you hadn't even considered. And you're like, oh, I never even thought that a roller coaster would fly off its tracks three miles away and then slam into the car on the highway at 40 miles an hour. I never even saw that, you know, like that's what made Final Destination fun. And this movie's trying to grab a bit of that. I, I did read a few behind the, a few articles and, and a few people even said that they were they were concerned about Final Destination comparisons so they were trying to find ways to kind of change those scenes up to make sure that nobody was trying to say like, oh, this is just a Final Destination knockoff. And, and in the end, being compared, <laughs> being compared to Final Destination in a good way, that's a high compliment. Yeah, I wouldn't consider that a bad thing. I, I would think that's... Yeah, like you, um, you maybe did this movie a disservice by trying to be less like Final Destination. Right. I mean, Final Destination, one, especially the first one, but even the, the latter ones, I, th- I can't remember the last one I saw, three or four, maybe four. I only um, ever saw the first one, and that bus death is still with me. 
That's it's, still yeah. like I can call it up in my head right now. Just that was horrifying. Loved it. And I think that's because and maybe that can help us sort of scale where Wish Upon is here. Wish Upon is the final destination for of your franchise, right? Where you know what the audience is there for. They're, we're here to see people die in creative ways. The story is secondary. Just figure out some loose connections to get people from point A to point B and call it good. You know, just we've we've stripped that away. But unlike Final Destination, you know, four or whatever, this, you know, I'm not gonna say got a major theatrical release, but you know, this was was fairly big. It came out in July. It was a summer blockbuster horror alternative, right? It it just I don't know. It, it was a very it's a very weird film to try and place within horror, right? But I'd say in terms of its scale, scope, and and quality, you know, we're we're definitely in latter final destination sequel territory here. And again, that could have been okay. That might have been an asset, but they they seemed unwilling to fully engage with the final destinationness of their plot, and we're still trying to sort of set it apart. Which again, I get, but. At a certain point, if you know what, if you know the horse you're riding, don't pretend you're on a different horse, right? Just run yeah. with it. Just just let yeah. it happen, and that's okay. So, um, I guess we're, we're really kind of ready to get into spoilers, right? Girl finds box, makes wishes on box, terrible things happen to her, and and you know the fun is watching everything unspool, I suppose. But uh, yeah, I think we can get into spoilers and sort of talk about the film itself. We've kind of already um, been spoiling a little bit. We'll just we'll bit, continue you know. with the spoilers. But I mean, again, when the plot is this basic, I don't know how you cannot. I mean, like, what are you spoiling? Yeah, I'm. This this movie is figured out within the first you know ten minutes. What's going to happen? Totally. Um, even down to, I mean, if we're already getting into spoilers, even down to everything with her mom's suicide, you could kind of already predict like well that's going to be the final act of the movie she's going to bring her mom back from the dead and then it's not going to go well you got it um yeah yeah um yeah so we can we can get fully into spoilers here i will say that this film if you are interested and i i don't think it's a bad watch it's it's a goofy watch it's it's oh yeah this was hilarious yeah at several points my partner asked me if this was made for television, and I just, I laughed every time he said it. Like, are you sure this wasn't made for TV? This looks like a TV movie. And and I can't disagree. I mean, I, I can't, unfortunately. Uh, but yeah, no, this is a fun watch. It's, it's very insubstantial, very inconsequential. You'll forget about it the moment that it's finished. But it, it, it just, it, it, it has a quality to it that sort of makes it work better than it should for what it is. Right. And that's, that's the kind of movie that we're really here to discuss to see, okay, well, does this really have enough quality to make it worth your time? And in this case, I think it kind of does even at this level. Um, So the nice thing is this is streaming for free on YouTube right now. It's one of YouTube's free movies. So you can just go on YouTube, search for wish upon and you can watch it right there with no need for, you know, encumberments uh but uh yeah so as you mentioned this film opens in the past Uh, a young girl life full of promise a smile on her face comes outside to discover that her mother has acquired for her a new bicycle and And she she, has a dog 
And a dog. And a beautiful we know, golden retriever. We all know what that means. The dog's going to die soon. <laughs> she's going to be happy forever is what that means, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, right, right, right. So she's got a brand new bike. She goes for a bike ride. The mom tries to throw something away. Um, and she's, It's like a wrapped up thing. She puts it in the trash. Then the girl comes back home after her little bike ride, goes upstairs and finds her mother has committed suicide in the attic. She, uh, she just hung herself in the attic. And that's our first like jump scare of the movie. You know, little girl scream, violin strings, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, then we flash forward. And and one of the the details that I just I loved was that the, the new bike, the bike the girl got on that fateful day is in the exact same position in the yard as if she dropped it when she was nine or eight or whatever. And the bike literally never moved again. Right. Yeah. Like she, there's been no joy in her life and no reason to ride a bike for the past five or six years. And so the bike has just rotted in the front yard. No one moved it. No one picked it up. No one pushed it out of the way. Uh, presumably the lawn has been mowed, but then the bike was just immediately laid back down in the same position. You know, it's just it's the kind of thing that I know a, a production designer goes like, ah, oh, we'll have the, the, the trashed out version of the bike lay in the same plot in the same place. But the the implications of what would have to happen over the course of the intervening years to ensure that the bike remained in the exact same position that it was laid yeah. down in when she was a child doesn't it really work. It's just laughable. It's just laughable circumstance. But I love it. Every time I see that bike in that movie, I just laugh. It's like it's still there. Nobody's moved it. Even though she outgrew it literally decades ago. She has another bike. I mean, she's got yeah. another bike. Like a she still bike. rides bikes, but she never rode that one again. Not that one. That one can't be touched. That That's was just, her mom's death bike. That was the death bike. Mom's <laughs> we death can't, bike. We can't have that. And the, the dad, who is a professional trash hauler and salesperson never ever thought well maybe i could sell this bike right because it's the no. death bike it's too important so we we get a lot of information very quickly about her life which again i i think there is this is some of the evidence for why john leonetti is is i'm not going to say an accomplished director but he's a competent director he's he's a capable visual storyteller he's I not an old <laughs> what's that He's not an oaf. No, no. I mean, again, he's he's not <laughs> incapable. Like I said, I think that he has a good handle for, uh, you know, how to articulate a jump scare, how to build tension in a scene. Like all of that stuff is present. He's not so bad at making movies that this is a joke, right? It's not that, not at all. But yet at the same time, you know, we're not really getting anything substantive out of these individuals. Um, one thing that I did think was interesting stuck in the, the, you know, sort of the same opening scene is we have a, the little girl finds the mom, right? And so the camera's kind of pushing in behind her as she finds the body hanging. The mom kills herself. The girl turns, she screams, she's facing, uh, from camera left to camera, right? The camera quick pans away from her screaming face. And then we get Joey King waking up moving from camera right to camera left. So like the two, the two little girls, like their faces basically slam into each other with the, the cut. Yeah. And again, I, I'm not here to, to necessarily critique a person's choices when it comes to visual editing, 
But typically, if you're trying to communicate these are the same people, the camera move would match. Should be a match. Like they would sit up and then occupy the same space in the frame. Right. So the little girl and Joey King's face would be aligned roughly similarly. They would appear, they would start and end roughly the same place. And, and, you know, you would know, oh, this is the same character that I just saw, but now she's, she's aged up. And so that, that right off the bat, I was just kind of one of those, oh no. Right. Like, oh, whoops. Um, That's, that's probably not a good sign. Right. Again, it's not a bad choice, but it's not the choice that you would typically make in the current sort of language and grammar of film, right? So, yeah. It, but it speaks to we filmed these scenes. We didn't really think about how to connect them in that way because that takes planning and time and effort. And so instead, we just do this and, and then we kind of make sure that people, you know, get it. And, and it's not like it's that confusing, but it was just one of those small things. So she wakes up, dad's a trash guy, uh, has a nice friend that waves at her. Um, we see Sherilyn Finn across the street who seems just very engaged with Joey King's life, very much wants to be. She's like, oh, goodbye. You know, like just reaching and she's for known her, her you know. since she was a kid. because She was there the day her mom died. Exactly. I mean, right. I guess she has a lot of caring adults in her life mm-hmm. and she lives in a nice house. I mean, for her dad being a garbage man it's not even really that garbage filled no again Um, that's part of the premise of her dad's profession that just doesn't make sense if it's that terrible how can they live in the house that they live in how can why isn't it like a hoarder house sure yeah why isn't there just stuff stacked and piled everywhere for sure because then maybe it would make sense that's why she hates that he's a garbage man Ah. garbage man and again you know we get enough information. We have all that we need to sort of understand her circumstances as she perceives them. Then she almost gets hit by the, the car driven by the rich kids who are all taking pictures of each other inside the car. Again, very, this is what kids do, right? Isn't this what kids do in cars? And I was like, no, they wouldn't be talking to each other and they wouldn't be looking at each other. And the one person driving would be angry that they have to drive. <laughs> that would be the circumstance <laughs> in a modern car full of teenagers, I would think. And and the movie very awkwardly introduces a character, ca- character, uh, because as she's about to get hit by the car, she's outside of a very old man's house. She's at like mm-hmm. the end of his driveway. And he's getting his paper and they, they act weird around each other. Extremely. And it turns out this is crazy Uncle August. Well, I don't know if he's crazy. I'm just I'm just adding that to his name. Uh, and this is until his death, the only time that we see him. <laughs> yes. Um, Ryan Felipe later says, I told you not to go around him for reasons unknown. But, but like, we don't even um, know who this is. No, and the who's, movie doesn't who's uncle really is? ever tell us. It, well, eventually Mm-mm. we learn it's her mom's uncle, right? But we learn nothing else, no. just nothing. Yeah, mom's uncle, but what matters and how it matters, no idea. And so, yes, he is is Uncle Augie, and and he witnesses her falling down, 
And then rather than help her or offer advice, he's just like, you need to watch out for yourself and then sort of hobbles away on a cane. So it's like, waits for her to give him his paper, which I thought was funny. Like he didn't Mm -hmm. even get his own paper, waited for the girl who almost got hit by a car to hand it to him. Give me my New York Times girl. Uh, Yeah. Very, very, um, very silly. Just just silly. Just weird. Again, maybe it's a discarded subplot. Maybe Uncle Augie. It it would sort of make sense to me that maybe Uncle Augie as this maybe wealthy individual, maybe he's an art dealer, maybe he's a trader himself in some way, that maybe he would have been the one to give the box to the mom in the past, not knowing what it was or whatever. And so, but like, no. there's this, but no, they, they don't do anything with that. He's just there to eventually die and allow the plot to continue forward because he's rich. And obviously that and money will have to go money. somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. So and then, his death was funny. So, but we'll get to that. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll get there. So <laughs> there's, there's stuff going on at the, the high school. She arrives. She's embarrassed because her father is, is digging in, in trash across from the school and, Nobody notices. No one cares until she until goes she over. Screaming. <laughs> she goes over and yells at him. And then everybody is watching and taking pictures. It's like, if you just hadn't said anything, they would just be appear to be garbage men. And unfortunately in modern American society, if there's one job that gets routinely ignored, it is garbage men. And do you know she how goes much over garbage men complaining. make? Oh yeah. No, it's a garbage it's a men. Solid profession. Kings. Salute. To all the garbage men. Yes. Um, John R. Lee and Eddie doesn't respect you. So take out your <laughs> rage in online spaces complaining about John R. Lee and Eddie and his lack of understanding. Um, but then there's some uh, they're they're at the high school then. And Joey King is trying to, like, put up a put up a sign or something for a, a dance or a senior it's for the, show the scavenger the what is senior scavenger hunt scavenger hunt there we go there it is um because it's like you know looking for things like wish and so that you could wish on them but then yeah. the the mean girl goes by and like just throws a drink on it and it's ruined for no reason i'm like what who would do i i don't even know who would do that in the and context the, of any the circumstance thing is, all of these teenagers are excited about the upcoming senior scavenger hunt. So why would she destroy the banner? Why would right. she do that? She should be excited. She should walk by and, and maybe make a, a biting remark like, wow, did you take that out of the garbage? Sure. Yeah. I mean, you do, you, you know, do your biting comments. Your, Shit. It should have had right stairs, this movie. You know, <laughs> that's what we'll, well, we'll write wish upon two. That's what we'll do. Yeah. The follow up yeah. to yeah. the immortal film wish upon. And so, High school, high school, high school, love, 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 girls, she, boy, she can't have, blah, blah, blah. Like, again, we've, we've seen all this before. It is bog standard, you know, tropey Hollywood horror teenager stuff. And then we cut to our, our good friend, Ryan Felipe, digging in someone's trash outside of, of a home, right? The only indication that we have that there might be something unique about that home is that there's a big gate. And on the top of the gate are sort of vaguely Chinese looking demon figures holding lanterns. Very vaguely. So, I, and kind of not at all. <laughs> yeah. So you could tell like they were trying to be like, okay, well, what kind of home, what kind of home 
would have, have a Chinese wish box. Chinese wish box in it that they would be desperate to throw away. Um, and and all they could think was, we'll put some little like Chinese demon statues on top of the gate, and that'll we let them know that it's from a Chinese demon. Uh, yeah, a the chi- demon lives there. <laughs> the, yeah, it's where the demons are from. They when they moved here from China, they were like, you know, this is a nice spot. We'll build this gate, <laughs> put ourselves and then on we'll top put of our it. Wish box outside, and some garbage men will come along and take it. Exactly. Just I don't know. It, it was very strange, and again, seemed maybe like a dropped, a dropped subplot, or just them trying to say that you know the maybe the ultimate end for everyone with the wish box is that they get everything they want, like gates with Chinese demon statues on top of them, but then they realize what they've lost to get it. And so they throw the box away. And that's what Ryan Felipe is discovering is the, the last gasp of an individual who had everything they wanted, IE gates with Chinese demons on them. And then they were like, off, oh, I can't keep this wish box around anymore. Wish. Right. What did they lose? To get those gates, right? What did they have to give up? (laughs) (laughs) They could have had a smaller, more reasonable gate. The fools. It's just all gates. (laughs) But so the he decides to give this to his daughter. She gets into a big fight, and so her day is terrible. And she goes over to visit her neighbor, uh, the the ever lovely Sherilyn Fenn, um, who has the most notable and conspicuous ponytail in the world. Um, which I, I couldn't help, but no, be like, man, that's an interesting ponytail. I mean, it's front and center. It's, it, it's a, an incredibly conspicuous ponytail. And of course that is going to matter later. So I, I, I guess I appreciate having the ponytail called out to me. I guess I'm looking at it going like, all right, thank you. I wanted that that essential plot detail to be present. Um, but then she goes home and she gets the box, right? And, you know, theoretically, the plot kicks into gear. She reads the box. She's somebody somebody posts like a, the fight she got into on whatever this film's version of Instagram is or something. And, and so she's it's feeling embarrassed and sad. She hates Darcy. And oh, go ahead. It's called Postapix. Was that what it's called? It's what it's called. It's Postapix. <laughs> ah, yes, the the incredible service Postapix. Um, and so this when she makes the wish for it to rot, uh, nothing happens, nothing changes, at least at the moment. But then later that night, the box begins to open. We find out that it is a a music box. Right inside is a, a music playing mechanism, and we get our Just first strains of the. Can we call it the wish upon theme? Which is really like. I was like, are we um, going to say Batman next? Batman. Well, when we were watching it, my my partner was like, "How come, how come movie music boxes never play nice music? They're always playing creepy music. It's just like they don't ever have like a comforting song. Like I had a music box when I was a kid that played Send in the Clowns. Yeah, I think it should have played that. You know, at the very least, you would think it would have sounded like 
music that a Chinese person would compose. Like a person in, who, who it was embedded in, in Chinese culture. They would try to write something that would sound evocative <laughs> of its, its location, but instead it sounded like any other sort of like horror theme, right? Yeah. Was this music box built in 1984 after a viewing of nightmare on Elm street? Like what, yes. what exactly? But so the music box plays and we find out that when the music box plays, that means the price for whatever wish has been granted. That's when the price is being exacted on the individual, which, you know, again, in horror movie parlance, that's fine. That's, that's great. Right. The music box starts playing. Somebody gets gets dead or destroyed or necrotizing fasciitis in their limbs and face. Whatever. Right. But it's just a very. It sort of it sort of removes any tension about what's happening, right? Because when the music box open, opens, you know you're about to see something terrible happen, right? Every time. So there's it's really difficult to experience any kind of surprise in this film. The surprises then have to come from what is happening, not just the fact that a thing is happening. And it, I don't know, it 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 works, right? Again, this is very sort of teen horror, so it's very much for that sort of PG-13 horror crowd where you can't really go too far. But there's just part of the reason why I think this film is sort of watchable, but not enjoyably watchable, is the simple fact that there's there's no tension, there's no drive. Everything is just sort of sort of languishing towards an inevitable end, <laughs> right? Just sort of like a it's it's like the movie is is the the movie is a shrug. Like it's yeah. just a eh. a delayed shrug. It's just a it's just a, a 90 minute shrug. And it's it's remarkable that it is that in some ways because it doesn't completely fall off the map. Like the shrug is engaged the whole time, I suppose, but it is as maximally engaged as a shrug can be. Right? I I don't it's a yeah. weird thing to try and express, but it's like the film is for me a shrug just a well, but it's it's true because i didn't have like the worst time i didn't i watched the whole thing happily i didn't mm -hmm. pause i didn't get up i didn't like find excuses to look at my phone like oh my god this movie is still going um and we've definitely watched movies like that yes but for, sure. for, for example when we did the grudge 2020 grudge that movie's hard I checked to sit my through. phone a lot during that movie yeah. i had twitter open for like most of the movie <laughs> just because <laughs> there were a lot of scenes where just nothing happens for a really long time right um but this i, I was very very happily engaged by how boring it was like i just i sort of expected everything like there was no surprise there was absolutely nothing to surprise right. or delight in this movie. You would However, have to have never have seen a horror film before to be surprised by anything. <laughs> you would in this have film. to be a literal child. This is baby's first horror film for sure. Uh, so in any case, the, the wish sequence begins. Um, the first price to be enacted, of course, is beautiful pup pup. Um, of course, pup, pup who felt bad about the box from the beginning. Our, our very good boy yeah, looked at it repeatedly and said, this is bad. 
you shouldn't be doing this young girl. And, and unfortunately he paid the ultimate, ultimate price. price and he got eaten by rats, which is kind of the thing. Yeah. I guess that's one thing that this film does have is that it's, it's never just a kill. It's always a kill plus, right? Like that's one thing I get. Maybe Leonetti's bringing that from his work with Juan. Cause I think James Wan has similar instincts, but you know, like it's not just that the dog died because we could have just seen like the dead body of the dog. No, it's the dog died and he got eaten by rats. Yeah. Right. And then like when, when Augie meets his end after her wish um, to, I, I forget which one it is. The second wish she makes Augie dies. And with that one, like he falls and he hits his head in the tub and you're like, oh, well, that's it. Right. He's going to get covered up with water and die. But no, he wakes up again. Right. And he's like trying to get out of the tub and then he hits his head on the faucet because it's one of those fancy like hangover faucets. And then that knocks him out and then he dies. Right. So it's never just like the one thing. There's always this the scale that that must be met. Um, And that's that's kind of interesting in and of itself, I suppose. But. So the kills in, in most cases, not all of them, but the kills in most cases are pretty fun. Um, you know, as, as fun as a kill in a movie can be, I suppose. But the standout kill for me by far, and maybe this is why she did it, I don't know, uh, is Sherilyn Finn's death. Sherilyn Finn gets the yeah. best death in this movie, in my opinion. There are a couple others that are decent. But that one actually, that scene actually had me going. Because I was like, how is this going to happen? Because... It's a garbage disposal scene. And there is just nothing like a good garbage disposal kill in a horror movie for me. And I have like, I I actually bought a house, uh, my first home that had a garbage disposal, a really good, really expensive garbage disposal. And I ripped it out because horror movies. have taught me that garbage disposals are how you're going to die. If you have one, Um, couldn't do it. It's just inevitable. And this was a a ring down there, or there's going to be something stuck in it. And you're going to need to stick your hand And I'm going to be so stupid. (laughs) I will stick my hand down there. (laughs) Yep. I'm just going to stick my hand down there and, and uh, I'm, I'm going to somehow hit the switch. So that's her death. Uh, So the next wish she wishes for, uh, the undying love of the, the, the nicest looking boy in school. Um, that's, you know, we get this whole long scene where she's just pining over his pick, pick to picks. What is it? What was it? What was the name of it? Post of picks. <laughs> gotcha. So she's just pining over it and just staring. It's like, Oh, uh, every picture. She's just like, Oh, and I admit, <laughs> I don't really get this. I don't, because she already has a boy who clearly likes her in the movie. Yes. yes. Uh, Ryan. And she goes for this guy. Right. It's it's uh, Ryan Hui, uh, played by Ki Hong Lee, who's, who's been in quite a few things of late. He hasn't done much in the last few years. He was in the Maze Runner movies, which were, you know, still pretty big at this time. And, um, you know, decent amount of television, I suppose. But in any case, he's, you know, he's obviously smitten with her. He you know, is, is sort of looking out for her, watching her back um, in a couple of different scenes already. And, but yet she still is pining for this, like, you know, six foot three blonde, blue eyed dude, you know, honestly, Ryan Felipe. I mean, that's who she's into. Yeah. Which we're going to get a scene about that later too. 
But so she wants him to to fall madly in love with her, which he then promptly does. And, uh, you know, to the the detriment of his relationship with um, one of the other pretty hot girls. I, I don't even remember her name. She doesn't really matter. But so Augie dies for that. And that's the, the bathtub death where he falls, hits his head on the bathtub, almost makes it out, hits his head on the faucet, and then drowns in his own bathtub. Um, and, and you know, then it's, then it's money, right? So the third wish is give me all of Augie's money, which here's where I, I, I think the film takes a hard turn with Joey King's character to where she's obviously figured out that the wishes the wishes work, right? Like stuff is happening. So she's, and now she's just getting really greedy with it. Just like, um, and I guess monkey paw stories, you know, they need that component, right? You need the greed that's driving you to keep wishing for these things. But yet I guess I would find if she started to believe that this box can grant wishes, but has not yet connected that the wish that she makes then is being extracted in price from something else is surprising to me, right? That she just hasn't quite figured out how, you know, this is working just yet. And so, you know, she's looking at it as this huge opportunity. Everything's going to change. Her life is, is fixed. Her dad is much more, you know, Felipe is still a bit like, I don't know about all this stuff. This seems a little weird to me, but he's just kind of going along with it. Um, so the, the Sherilyn Finn death is a result of the give me all of Uncle Augie's money thing. And, and man, I just, this would be the, if I was going to show somebody one scene from this movie, it would be her garbage compactor death. Uh, because again, it kind of keeps you going. You don't know exactly what's going to happen. Oh no, she stuck her hand down there and she's playing around with it. And she's kind of moving very close to the switch. Then, you know, and we actually get like, you know, Leonetti set up a rig that has like a hand reaching down inside of the garbage disposal and it's visible. I mean, it's 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 a fairly complete scene. And then it's it's the ponytail. That's what gets her. And by golly, I just thought this was this was great. I was like, yes, that's great. I had I didn't see it coming. And not in that way. doesn't do anything like that ever again. No, this is the is quite literally the kill highlight of the film for me. Um, so we're unfortunately like we're like thirty minutes in, and nothing else in the movie is going to top this scene. It's just not. And the the I guess the the story being advanced here is that this is the first sign time that uh, Joey King sees the music box open and do something while she's awake. So she actually sees it happen, and. You know, there's just a bunch of like back and forth in the scene. You think, oh, it might be a gas explosion at one point. Oh, it could be this. There might be this other thing that happens. But no, she she leans over the garbage disposal. Her hair gets caught. And then it pulls her head so hard that it breaks her neck. And that's how she dies. And it's just great. Just a yeah. just a great death it was, scene. It's a great scene. It's it feels it, this is the one where I think as they were putting it together, they were probably like, I don't know, guys, this feels a lot like Final Destination. <laughs> this feels a lot like Final Destination. Maybe we should do something about that. But everybody's like, but dude, it's so good. 
It's so good. So we great. spent all day building this scene for the garbage disposal. Just great. Um, but yeah, garbage disposals are bad, kid. Kids don't don't have them. Um, it's just they're not good. Yeah, they're, they're bad. Um, don't let the gar don't let big garbage disposal get you. That's what you're looking for. It's not big worth pharma it. might be coming for you, but it's big garbage disposal that you really need to just <laughs> just start a compost pile. You don't need the garbage disposal. That's right. That's right. Earth Rise first. above it. Now, the one thing that I think does work well to sort of keep the whole my wishes don't always have consequences thing going is that um, nobody finds the neighbor for a couple of days. Like nobody knows that she's dead because, you know, she lives alone. She interacts with them sporadically, so she doesn't really understand what's happened. So I thought that was clever, right? I thought it would have been yeah. much more interesting if a lot of these, these deaths and these kills were actually sort of hidden from the character so that they wouldn't understand, Oh, Hey, what cost is being extracted here? But, and I guess it's, it's trying to keep that game going, but I'm not sure that it, it really works. Um, so when they go to uncle Augie's house, after his death, that's when they find a bunch of the mom's art, right? Um, yes. So again, this this kind of reinforced the idea that I think Augie might have been the original giver of the box to the mom. And maybe, you know, but where the falling out with Uncle Augie and all that happened, I just never really explained. And it's fine. I mean, it's a subplot, but yet it, it seems like there's just kind of sort of missing pieces here, like something that would have been contributing to the overall sort of understanding of what's happened and, and why does this family keep getting plagued with this box, which is, I think another thing that they may have explored in some previous times, you know, the mom had it, she got rid of it, which we find out later. There are some rules around that. Like if you get rid of the box, it basically undoes all your wishes, right? Like if you abandon it. Yeah. So like the abandoning of the box is where you say, you know, all my wishes can be undone. And I guess theoretically the, the moral is like you realize that the wishes have a cost. You abandon the box. You accept that the things that you wish for are not going to be real anymore. And you just walk away, right? That's your price to get rid of the box. So the mom tried to do that and then she committed suicide after. So I, I think the movie could have explored what wishes her mom made and then what was undone when her mom gave it away. Like was one of her wishes, the bike, Right. Like, did she wish for her daughter to have a new bike? And then the bike appeared and she was like, oh, a wish. And then someone died. And so she undid it, but then still felt the need to commit suicide. Like, there's just there's mechanical stuff here that even though it's not necessarily essential. Would have helped to sort of build out what this box is and how it works and, and you know, sort of help us as the audience. Right. Yeah. Like understand the significance of this thing and why it's coming back to this family is, is there a, a demonic intent at the heart of the box, right? There's a lot of references later to Chinese uh, demons and, and sort of that side of Chinese mythology and, and this power within the box, but yet we don't really explore does the box have sentience. Does it think for itself? Is it trying to, you know, does it want to ruin people's lives or is it just giving them an opportunity and then they inevitably ruin their own lives? Right. Like what is what is going on here? And in the film, just, you know, obviously with the intent of being 
you know, a swift and relatively palatable teen horror film is just kind of like running past them. It just feels like there could be, there could be more there. Um, but so they move into Uncle Augie's house, right? You know, cause they have all his money now. And uh, the dad starts playing sweet, sweet saxophone. He'd given oh, it up, yeah. right? His life as a trash man had taken away his ability and energy to play the, the sweet, smooth jazz of one Kenneth G. But yet, once they're back in Uncle Augie's house and the, the glass windows and the light, then he can play again. He can finally reach down into the depths of his soul he's, and, he's finally and bring out healed. the... The sweet, sweet jazz the way, music of the past. The way that only the sexy saxophone can help you heal. Um, so we get, I guess it's worth noting, we get several scenes in this film where Ryan Felipe mimes playing saxophone. <laughs> and not and especially well. it is everything well. that you hoped it could be. Um, but we get it, we do, well, it's, okay, so this whole trash digging thing so they have all this of Uncle Augie's money, Jolie Richard, Jolie King, I'm going to call her Jolie Richardson. Um, Jolie King, Joey King is, is like, Oh, we you know, all our problems are solved. And then she's out with her friends and she sees, what does she see? What does she find? Ryan Felipe's digging in the trash again. Cause he likes it. And she's yeah. like, what are you doing? You monster, <laughs> you sick monster and he's like what i'm just digging in some trash it's just some trash and i i just don't i, I don't I get just, it i don't get her rage over this i just don't it doesn't it doesn't make sense if, that she would be this angry about something that even if he just wanted to do it as a hobby right like who cares if he had been a hoarder, it would have made total sense. And it sure. actually might have worked in the movie. If like their house was disgusting and it was just hoarded up with trash and junk and he just kept bringing home box after box, then it would make sense. And then he starts hoarding up their new fancy house they get from the dead guy. Sure. Maybe that would have made sense. But this is just he doesn't even seem to bring home that much. No, he's just got a truck with a cooler in the back and, and he, you know, brings home some weather vanes and stuff like. (laughs) Yeah, it's just uh, her hatred of it and her perception that that his engaging in it is nothing but a social slight on her is. It just doesn't make a ton of sense like her. She seems like a much more level-headed person than that for a chunk of this film, at least. But that obviously doesn't stick. She gets, and I guess that's one of the things, is as a main character, I think she's a pretty weak main character. It's fine for a main character to make bad choices and and sort of get wrapped up in the circumstance. That is absolutely a thing that can happen. But yet she begins making choices that for the character that they've established don't make sense for her. Mm. And and that is is one of the sort of like large scale issues I had with her as a character. She, she becomes increasingly difficult to root for um, or increasingly difficult to even care for as the film goes on because she makes these willful choices that result in other people being hurt or, you know, she 
you know, seems so selfishly engaged in her own stuff that she can't understand other people's needs either. And again, if that's something they were going for, I get it. But I, I think it could have been balanced out a little bit better so that we could still sort of root for her, want to see things work out for her. And and yet towards the end, I was kind of like, well, this is what you deserve, right? This is is what you've earned based on your actions. And And I don't know if that's really the best place to be in your, in your teen horror film, right? Like it's like, that's a much more sort of emotionally complex place to go than this film seems interested in going. Yeah. Yeah. You know, at least that was, that was my read on it is like, I, I kind of want to see you die. And I don't know <laughs> if that's really the point, right? Cause even, you know, Should you I reference final destination die? again, <laughs> you know, you, you want to see Devin Sawa make it out of that movie alive. Right. Even though he's kind what? of a little douche. You know, yeah. you want to see him make it. <laughs> it's, yeah. Yeah. Actually, that's true. I didn't like anyone in that movie, but I I still didn't want that to happen. Right. You know, and bad things. So in any case, they they we we need we need people Googling in a film like this. People must Google. <laughs> um, there is no other way to understand what we're watching unless someone gets a computer, goes to Google and types a string of words in that would definitely not be enough to bring up the specific information they're looking for. But that's what we get here. So Ryan, her friend, he is, he is Asian. And so when she's talking about the box and needing to translate some characters that she doesn't recognize, he's like, Hey, my cousin probably can. Right. So um, the cousin, they take the box to, to her. There's still something she doesn't recognize. So she has to send the translation off and then we get um, another death based on one of, you know, because of one of her wishes. And this time it kills, it kills this girl. And, and that was something, that was another one where I was like, but, but why? Um, if it's, if the monkey's paw effect is, is going on here, why would this girl be the one chosen? Why not yeah, Ryan? I, I right, wouldn't Ryan, get it. Yeah. Cause it's, it's like, she meets this, this girl once they don't seem to get along. It's not like she's like, Oh, you're my, you're my new bestie. I love you. It's just a, here's the girl that I met, but that is the first time we see, I guess when the wish box opens that there's like a little demon carving on the top of it, you know, cause they, that's where they introduce the idea of the demons. Yeah. And, and so there's a little demon there and his little, the thing that I thought was just so cute. is his little fingers point, just poke out. Right when the when the box comes up, he's got these these little these little baby fingers just kind of stick out on the sides. Little, little demon, demon baby fingers. fingers, and it's like you know, it's like when the box is closed, it's like he's holding it together with his little demon baby fingers. And uh, you know, I I get the feeling they wanted that carving to be like really intimidating and scary, and and it it just wasn't that. No, it wasn't that at all. It was actually kind of cute. But so the the uh, translator girl dies and her death was pretty good it was fast but it was another kind of it was a dark and stormy night and she trips on a carpet and then she happens to have this like bull statue in her living room that has these just that, impossibly that was long the only horns. part that felt <laughs> what why i felt pretty contrived it was just a little, a little bit, bit of contrivance just there a bit and uh yeah so i was like okay well it's it's a good death they couldn't show it i mean pg-13 you can't impale somebody through the face uh you can show the aftermath but you can't show the, show it happening 
And so that's kind of what they do. They sort of, you just hear the sound effects. It goes black and you hear a, you know, a a splorch, if you want to call it that. And then, you know, you know, she's dead. And so Ryan, um, I guess that was the, I want my dad to stop being a dumpster diver. Was that the wish? That's, was that wish four, I guess. And that's when he like fully embraces like yes. dad sacks persona and Bart yes, from and Stranger. And all of her friends are sitting yeah. around going, oh my God, your dad is so hot. Yeah. That's, that's Barb what? from Stranger Things being like, your dad is like the hottest dad. She, she actually says and... he is major hot sauce. <laughs> Because that's, right. that's what teenagers say. <laughs> that is definitely a phrase that a teenager would utter. I ran into uh, some in teenagers the other day, and they sounded man. just like that. Just like that. Yeah. He, your dad is hot sauce. His mm. hot sauce. Oh, that's wow. gross. Yeah. So silly. Um, yeah. But in, in any case, she... Uh, she wishes for him to no longer be a dumpster diver. So he starts playing smooth jazz with people we've never seen before in, in their living room. Like he just has a band. He's got a band. But I guess if you knew how to play a saxophone, if you just started playing it, a band would slowly form around you. I guess that's true. I mean, if you are player shows up. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you just, I guess, I mean, it's kind of like the bat signal. You just go on your roof and start playing saxophone and just musicians will emerge from the mist. Just feel like, Oh, I'm, I'm fat Tony, the bass player. I I heard your call. And then like a, a jazz guitarist from the local music conservatory just kind of wanders over and he's like, thought I heard smooth jazz. It just kind of goes from there. And then when you've reached the pinnacle of success, that's when Ron Burgundy appears and you finally have a jazz (laughs) flautist and you truly have reached, you know, rock God status. Yeah. You know, that's what wish upon is really about is how you can achieve smooth jazz God status. Right. (laughs) So the fifth wish is that she's popular, right? I want to get, I would, I, I just want to be popular. I want to be the most popular girl in school, um, which I, I like that this was the first wish that she makes that has like a an almost immediate adverse consequence because she loses all of her friends, right? Like she in yeah. being popular, I guess the box decides that the people who you can't bring things, people with you, you would just have to make the shift and leave everyone else behind. So then Meredith, um, one of her friends, Meredith, she dies in an elevator accident, which was a pretty cool death. Um, it was very sudden, but you know, the, the elevator elevator death was, was fine. Um, well, and they like, uh, they were trying to fake you out a little bit, making you think it'd be her dad or like, which one is it? Which one will the box take? Will it be dad or the shitty friend? (laughs) <laughs> and I'm sorry, she annoyed friend. the hell out of me. I was happy when she. Yeah, she was pretty off. bad. of Of her little friend group, there, Barb got to be Barb. She was just barbing it up. But this other girl, she was like aggressively Annoying. angry at the popular kids. You know, just like oh, they, they suck. You know, and and constantly like sticking her tongue out at them in the hallway, and just yeah, she was not a great character. Um, again, mostly just there to to cause trouble for. Other characters, I suppose, but 
So I, I guess the main thing that Ryan discovers, the final bit of the translation that they didn't understand was that once you make your seventh wish, whatever it is, the box gets your soul. I guess pinhead style. I don't, I don't really know. But so your well, your box claims it. It's got a lament configuration look to it. It does. You know? It really does. And I wish uh, the movie had gone there. I love my magic, my magic boxes. I slip them. <laughs> I think they're great. Um, but so they try to destroy it, which again, pretty typical. Obviously the box can't be destroyed. Um, oh, I guess we didn't really talk about the legend of the box, but supposedly it was during the, it was like one of the, the Chinese occupations this woman's family got locked in a train. They were supposed to be being moved, but it didn't happen. The family died. She was a singer, I think, if I remember right. And then she had this box, like this was her box. And it was her, and she wanted vengeance on all the people that had killed her family. So theoretically, she conjured a demon into the box and then used it to get the killing. But the movie is it, not real specific. It's, it's not specific. <laughs> And she finds it all on a single web page, which I think was great. Yeah. Like this girl, all she did was Google uh, the lady's name, which was written on the top of the bottom of the box. It was written on the bottom of the box, like a, like a stamp, right? Like, oh, this I is my I love the box. internet. I love it. <laughs> and then she you Googles find it. Anything. And she finds <laughs> the, the legend of whatever. Um, but then we get to the end game. And of course, as we would have predicted from the very beginning, she wishes for her mom to be unsuicided. And realizes that when all of her mom's art is back in the house because she didn't commit suicide, she finds pictures that her mom had drawn of the box. And so we as the audience should realize already that Claire's mom used the box because she had the package. She put it in the trash. She was abandoning it. Blah, blah, blah. Commits suicides to, to end the curse. Right. That's what she apparently was trying to do. She wished for the bike. Somebody died. Maybe maybe Augie's wife died. Hmm? Maybe that's the thing hmm. that happened. Maybe that's why the Uncle Augie hated them is because his wife died when when her mom made a, a wish to be a great artist or something. Ah, right. See, I'm inventing a plot in my mind that's better than the one they put in the film. <laughs> I it's love it when hard. that happens. I love it when I can write a better movie than the one I'm watching. Yeah, it's uh, it can be fun, like because, again, there's an interesting premise here, right? Monkey's Paw is a great premise. You can you can build an entire concept around Monkey's Paw and make it work. Many this, people have. And I think that's the problem with Wish Upon is that a lot of people have done this already. Exactly. And they just couldn't quite get there. Um, so her dad dies for bringing mom back in a fantastic I really wish it would have it could have been gorier. If this was an R-rated horror film, his death would have been glorious. But so dad is tr working with his friend cuz they're not dumpster divers anymore, I guess. But he's working Why with his would buddy. They be? I, I don't know cuz all of their better now. everything's perfect now. I don't need garbage. I have my wife. <laughs> <laughs> the the best piece of garbage I could wish. <laughs> um <laughs> So they're working on a tree and a chainsaw falls and just cuts. We don't actually see the injury, but this chainsaw like cuts into his head and kills him. 
And so Claire makes her final wish to go back to the day that they found the box and just erase everything, right? To just not do any of the things that she does. So there's time travel in this movie. Like there's just all kinds of shit going on at this point. Yeah. So she finds the box before her dad and then asks Ryan to bury it, right? So Ryan is going to like bury the box, be rid of the curse. Everything should be fine. She walks out into the road and immediately gets hit by Darcy's car uh, in a, you know, it's like poetry. It rhymes. It rhymes. It rhymes. Boy, does it ever. <laughs> so like the, the hit that she almost had at the beginning, she just does get hit. And this car hit is glorious. It's great. It was, this was great. And I was very this happy when this occurred. It was glorious. Because, all right, so I'll never forget watching um, the, the now immortal Meet Joe Black, uh, which was a dumb movie released in the 90s yeah. starring uh, Brad Pitt. But there is a death scene in that where, where Brad Pitt's character gets hit by like four cars. Right. He gets hit yeah. by one, gets bounced into the air. Then he gets hit by another car, gets bounced again and back and forth. He, he like gets ping ponged. It's like the, the only reason to watch the movie. Yeah, it happens right at the beginning. I'm sure you could find it online. I'm sure it's been clipped many, many times. But this was a meet Joe Black level car hit death. Right. Most car hits in, in movies are, you know, relatively tame. It's, it's just an excuse to get a stunt person out there and do a wire pull on him or something. But this girl, she gets launched, like straight launched. She gets hit by this, you know, Chevy Tahoe or whatever the girl's driving and just flies 20 feet through the air and slams into the windshield of a Ford Taurus. And by golly, I I laughed my ass off when it happened. It was so sudden and so ridiculous because like you think everything's going to be fine, right? I mean, obviously, you know, it's not. But you you at that moment, you think everything's going to be fine. She yeah, like kisses, maybe maybe she'll get home before the bad thing happens. Right, right. And she kisses Ryan. You know, they've got, you know, so there's this budding young love. I think part of the thing that enhances it and makes it funny is that Leonetti decided instead of just doing it, cause it's, you know, in car crash filming right now, it's really common to just, you know, you have a character walk, you know, into frame and then just bam, they just get hit by a car. And it's just a sudden almost jump scare kind of approach to, to being hit by a car now. But I think one of the things that elevates this to comedy is that Leonetti decided to do an in the car shot like with the camera looking through the windshield, Claire turns and sees the car and then does this like horrified reaction Yeah. before, before they then, you know, flash to the outside, the car hit and then her body getting flung. So we really get this sort of like almost like an animated film, right? Of like a, <gasps> as the, <laughs> as the character, like their eyes go wide and their tongue waggles a little bit. And, you know, like we almost get that. It's almost shot like a Roadrunner cartoon, right? And it, I, it was just the most hilarious thing. I just, it was, it, it's great. Like it's, it's almost worth watching Wish Upon and in, and going through the entirety of the film just to see this girl get absolutely railroaded by this car it was great <laughs> it was wonderful again it felt very final destination right it felt very much in in vain with that or, or in the same vein as as those films 
And so like the last shot is just her two friends horrified standing in the side of the road, everybody pulling back. And we just see Joey King dead on top of this 06 Ford Taurus or whatever. Yep. And it's, it's, it's great. I, I don't and know. It's over. It's, and then that, that's it. There's nothing else. I mean, there is a little post credit sequence where Ryan is, is supposed to be burying the box, but then he has like a brief, you know, like, Oh, I don't, maybe I don't want to bury. He has the box. very shifty eyes. Yep. He gets the he's shifty looking eyes around. And he's like, oh, it's it's something. Oh, and then it ends. Almost not worth watching that. <laughs> yeah, like, no, just 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 be be fine with Joey King. But the last thing that I want to mention is the, the credits sequence for Wish Upon. Is um, so much better than the movie that we just watched. What the hell? That's what I was going to ask you, like. Okay, so like end credit sequences in films have become a big thing. I mean, we can sort of thank, I guess, Marvel movies for that now. They've always been there, but those like sort of the initial credits, not the scroll credits, but the, you know, just the we're going to do our big credits over the top of it. A lot of people now use that as a place to do just like weird still photography, you know, sort of what David Fincher did with the opening of seven, you know, where it just got all these like it's like a tone poem, right? It's just a visual tone poem. We're just going to throw some imagery at you. You know, there's but, a lot of like things in the vague shape of the box. But and this has like burning houses and and death cults around the box, and I, yeah, I, I I really would have enjoyed seeing some of these things in the movie. And that was my that's that was my thing is like the the title the credits for this movie imply that you've just watched a much better movie than you just watched. Yeah. <laughs> like a shockingly better film. Somebody find the guy who those. did this credit sequence and definitely hire him to make a movie. Right. Cause we, what if there was a death cult built around this box and that that's how it gets awesome. from place to place, right? Some weirdo in a black robe walking down a street in the middle of the night, like dropping a wish box in front of your house. You know, like how cool would that be? There's like uh, a hedge maze. I mean, mm-hmm. It's just uh, missed opportunities. Yeah, it's just. But it's a great credit sequence. It's a great credit Absolutely sequence. Absolutely worth watching that. It is. And it feels a little bit, I mean, I guess they'd done some similar things in The Conjuring movie and, and, and Insidious. You know, James Wan likes to do little weird, you know, sequences like that for his movies too. But yeah, just I just found this one so enjoyable because it it just implied a film of much higher quality than what I had just watched, right? Like if they had opened with that, if that had been the opening credit sequence with all of that cool imagery in it, and then I watched Wish Upon, I would have been so disappointed. Just like, wow, what was that? Uh, yeah. but the fact that it comes at the end and you've seen the entirety of what the film has to offer and then this credit sequence hints at so many more cooler things i was just i was blown away by it i was like this is amazing this is incredible um (laughs) you know this is this is my wish upon (laughs) so yeah there was just a lot of a lot of that kind of stuff in this and maybe it's that is the ultimate you know sort of metaphor for wish upon is that it's a film that really doesn't know what it wants to be and is way worse than it thinks it is. 
and, and maybe it makes that's me it. it makes me wish upon a Chinese mystery box. I mean, wishing box, whatever. That this was a slightly better movie. Yeah, and I, I guess that's it. It's right on the cusp, right? It's right on the cusp of being an okay movie, but it just constantly dances that line in and out so deeply that it can't really settle for yeah. one or the other, and that's yeah. kind of sad. Um, but it's still fun. Like, as, like you said it earlier, it's still yeah. a fun movie to watch. It's engaging. Again, Leonetti is not an incapable film director, and and this was obviously based on a script that, at least in in one of its forms, got people's attention and said, like, this is a really cool idea. Um, again, I think a lot of that probably didn't get translated to the final version, which happens. You know, I mean, that's just a, a risk of filmmaking, but. Um, I think I, I will go back and, and try and find that blacklist script from, from 2014 or 2015. Whenever yeah, it was I admit I'm kind of curious too. Just cause I, I, I think seeing what that was that garnered some such positive buzz and then what this became, I think that would be a really interesting thing to study. But, and if it's really good, we, we can do a short follow-up episode about it. You know, the, the differences between wish upon <laughs> yeah. and the, the final version or something, but uh, all right. Well, I mean, that's that's Wish Upon. There's really not much more to it. It's a straightforward movie. It's not super complicated. It's decently well acted. It's got some fun shots in it. It's a couple of cool deaths, which, you know, that's kind of what you go to horror films for a lot of the time these days. Um, so any other final thoughts on Wish Upon? Um, I don't think so. I mean, I want to make like a joke. I want to say something about a about a wishing box, but you know, we've said it all. We've made our jokes. Uh, I wish that Ryan Felipe really did play the saxophone. Mm, yeah, that would be cool. That would have been the the ultimate merchandising really cool. opportunity for Wish Upon was just to release a standalone Ryan Felipe sax rock album <laughs> and be like from the film Wish Upon. Ryan Felipe <sighs> is smooth sex, man. Uh, yeah, it's it's hard to say <laughs> exactly <laughs> what would what would have worked there, but uh, yeah, no, I think I I, I this is going to be a recommend for me. I I still think Wish Upon yeah. is worth it, especially if you are a fan of either the horror genre just as a whole, because you'll in that case you'll watch this movie and it will very much be a I recognize that. Oh, I've, I've kind of seen that before. Oh, that's kind of like this from this, right? Or, or this is an interesting sort of side note. Like you, you, you can see all the things that have fed into Wish Upon's creation, right? Because Leonetti himself has been working in sort of what we would consider modern horror for a long time. So he's got a good handle on what that feels like. But then also it's, it's good if you like that sort of like middle, middling slash bad movie, right? Where you can watch a movie that's not just like a, you know, banger all the time. Everything's great, but you can still kind of appreciate it for what it is. So I'm going to recommend wish upon, especially given that it is, it is basically free to watch literally anywhere you want to, right? Just go to YouTube and watch it. Uh, zero investment other than your time. And uh, this is a movie that I think, you know, again, it's a 90 minute film. Last couple of movies we've done have been brief 90 minute affairs, which is wonderful. I'm, I enjoy when a movie just sort of knows what it is and gets in and gets out, that's great. Uh, this one, I feel like it is one that could have had some expansion, maybe another 10 minutes of lore and, and sort of character building might've been good, but ultimately it's a 90 minute sort of like dust off your shoulder, 
uh, sort of horror flick, why not give it a shot? Especially if it's if your investment in it is, is zero. Um, so it's a recommend for me. Uh, same, same for me. I, I wouldn't say I loved it, but I really didn't hate it. I didn't have a bad time. And again, a shorter film is probably always going to mean that I will be easier on it because I haven't invested like three hours in watching this movie. Like it, Mm -hmm. it's not a big deal. Um, so yeah. I would say it's it's definitely worth it. It's on YouTube. Come on, you are going to be on YouTube anyway. Just watch. <laughs> Everybody's it. on YouTube these days. Yeah. Um, I guess the last thing I'll say is that you know I, I've seen a lot of Leonetti's films as cinematographers because I like James Wan, so I've seen all of his stuff, but even some of the other ones. And I will say that I did like that Wish Upon had a very sort of natural look, like he didn't try to do a lot of the standard horror camera tricks, um, yeah. which you know. The Conjuring is a good example of that, too, up until the basement sequence at the end has a very natural look like they're not really trying to do anything. You know, there's no like harsh neon reds. There's no like green lights in the background. Like it's it's just very natural. It's played basically real. And I thought that was pretty good. I thought the film looked okay. Um, You know, they they could have certainly gone a lot more horror esque, even in the scene when the the translator is killed which is supposed to be like during a storm, they don't go too, too nuts with that. And so that was kind of nice. I, I will say that just as one final, final bit, but uh, yeah, it's, it's a fun little romp. Uh, it's insubstantial. It's not going to become your favorite of anything, but you know, if you've watched some final destination movies and been like, Oh, that was fun or, or something along those lines. then there's a lot here to, to enjoy. Um, what I hope is that Joey King gets the chance if she wants to, I mean, if she's found success in these sort of like little, you know, romantic comedy slash dramas on Netflix, then by all means go, go where, where your, your, your money is, go where the career is. But I would like to see Joey King who obviously hasn't, has like some success in horror, right? She was in the conjuring. She won she made slender man, which is also bad. Um, but she obviously doesn't mind the genre. She likes working in it. I I'd like to see her get into a project that is not bad. Right, Same. like a, a horror film that's actually pretty good. I, I will say, um, if you go to a movie right now, any movie, you're going to see the trailer for Brad Pitt's Bullet Train, which comes out in a couple of weeks, I think. Mm-hmm. It's the oh. new David Leach film, one of the guys who co-directed oh. John Wick. Um, so it's basically Brad Pitt in a John Wick movie, from oh. what I can tell. But it all takes place on this Japanese bullet train, and he's moving from car to car to car, which oh. I'd I, watch. I, I, I love train movies and the, the concept of a train of like starting at one end of a train and then fighting your way to the front end of the train just sounds awesome to me. Like that premise, that's enough. Like, again, I, I miss the times, (laughs) I miss the times when movies could be based on such simple premises. I'm sure this one's more complicated. Like I, I have no doubt that it's got all kinds of weird twists or whatever, but like you could straight up just put a guy is in the last car of a train Somebody says, you get to the front of the train or we'll kill your kids. And he's like, I got to get to the front of the train. And then like, that's the whole movie. That's, that's it. Yeah, and like I taken, would be fine but on a train. It. Taken, <laughs> but on a train. That's all anyone wants. That's all we want. Liam Neeson has been making Taken on a blank for the last 15 years. Let's just I watch keep all of this them. going. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like nonstop taken on a taken on an airplane. The marksman taken on the border. 
right? Like it's, <laughs> it's just there's it's just all of that. So uh, I, I'm kind of excited about it. And Joey King is in that. She plays one of the main characters of that film. And and I'm I'm kind of excited to see uh, how she handles that because I think it's it's a bit of an action role. I think she's actually doing mm. some stunt work and some other things. So um, she's supposed to be like a British assassin, I think, posing as some kind of schoolgirl on the train. So, you know, uh, my my kids really want to see it. I I'm pretty sure it's rated R. I don't know why. My son's like, Dad, Dad, I really want to see Bullet Train. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know, buddy. I guess we could figure it out. We'll see. But uh, it's, you know, in any case. So I, I really would like to see Joey King. Maybe she gets brought back into the Conjuring movie because, man, those Conjuring movies need some kind of like rebooted yeah. something. Like, just go back to the basics. Just make another one of those. All of these, all of these others. I don't know, man. Um, But in any do case, something. You know, uh, do do something in horror that isn't middling or mediocre. Give it do something that's got a bit of chops to it these days. Um, oh, I will say. Did you ever read the Scott Westerfield series, The Uglies? Do you remember that one? I didn't finish any of those books because they're not um, great. I mean, I don't yeah. love them. I always wished that the good things would happen if they made movies out of them, though. And apparently they they finally have um i i will be honest it's joey king good. is starring in it but it the first one at least is being directed by mcg so um, that oh. doesn't seem like a good thing to me um i don't i don't i don't hate mcg um i hate the fact that he still calls himself mcg i mean his name's just it- joseph mcginty just just call yourself that. It's fine. People are allowed to have dumb names. Mm-hmm. It's no big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, did you ever see his babysitter movie? No. It's it's a Netflix exclusive. You know, I skip it's a like lot a of McG movies. I don't you know, know. And I don't think that's a bad choice at the For end. Some of the reason. Day, you know? I just don't end up seeing him. <laughs> but so he's doing that. Joy King is attached to that. That could have some horror elements to it, because that premise has some sort of like dystopian horror stuff going on. But again, it really, it's going to depend on approach for that one. I don't know if that's a Netflix only thing or if it's going to, I imagine it's Netflix because McGee's been making Netflix exclusive stuff for the last five or six years. Cause all those babysitter movies, room of the world, a bunch of other stuff, all, all of McGee's stuff is Netflix now. So I would imagine it'll show up there. And and I guess, well, Joey King's been making a bunch of Netflix stuff too, with the Kissing Booth movies. So that seems natural. But yeah, I would like to see her take a swing at a larger, at a lead and a larger and, and hopefully more sort of well-produced horror project, right? Call Jason Bloom and be like, what you got going on, Jason Bloom? Do you need somebody that can both kiss and scream? Because <laughs> here I am. And he'll say, right. I currently have, 400 movies in the works which one would you like to be exactly which of my 480 projects would you like to be a part of joey king um but yeah so wish upon uh, worth your time especially for the low low price of free on youtube um go check it out i think it's pretty good all right so if somebody wants to uh yell at you online about how wish upon is the future of horror where can they find you um well, they will find me at Baskinator on Twitter, where I frequently post about my massive and always growing collection of Chinese wish boxes. 
That's right. Um, and you can find me at T Baskin, where I have numerous pictures of my screen accurate reproduction of the Chinese witch, wish box um, with tiny demon baby hands. Yeah. Fully visible. Um, I mean, one that's, day I'm going to steal it from you. It's really it all I ever post on collection. Twitter. It's my, my perfect recreation of the Wish Upon box. It even you plays bastard. creepy European music box music, even though it's supposed to be from China. In any case. Yeah, uh, but yeah you can find me at T-Baskin. <laughs> <laughs> it was very expensive. <laughs> you can find me at T-Baskin, or you can get us together at FP's Theater uh, on uh, Twitter. Uh, so if you need to email us, if you want to send us something longer, a longer rant, you can email us at failurepiece at gmail.com. Uh, well, thanks for listening. It's been fun to break down Wish Upon. Always a good time to take a look at a horror film that could be better, but is still a pretty good time. Uh, but we will be back in the very near future to discuss more films that may or may not be failure pieces. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.